Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on a sunny day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air today by Jenny Wallace. Jenny is the Managing Director of Beyond Skin Clinic in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Jenny, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, what a great thing to be a part of. It's an absolute pleasure having you, Jenny. And um, the purpose of this podcast series, first and foremost, is to gather a variety of distinct uh, perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to understand first is what really that word leader actually means to you, because leadership has many different faces, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an interesting one that I feel that certainly in the, the past few months, the term leadership has brought on a new meaning for me and I feel like I'm really properly understanding what it means and, and changing, I guess, the way I think about it. Um, I suppose when you're running a business and you're managing staff and you are leading people, but you, you don't always have time to, to sit back and think about how you're doing it or, or why you're doing it or are you doing it effectively. Um, and when the pandemic hit, I, I sort of, well, it hit everybody quite hard, but it took me a beat to just kind of sit back and go, wow, this is a time when I really, really have to be a leader. And if I wasn't before, I damn well have to be now. <laughs> so I think my definition of um, leadership has changed and the way I, I probably do it has changed recently. So it's a good time to be talking about it. <laughs> yeah, certainly, because leadership really has come under the test at the moment, hasn't it, with the COVID-19 pandemic and so many leaders having to adapt and lead their businesses through it. And one of the big things that has come out of this is um, the fact that time is a he does well it really brings out the best in people doesn't it you're seeing people mucking in whether they've had to go on site or whether they've had to work remotely and they're just getting on with things and have I imagine you've learned a lot about your own stuff during this period as well Jenny yeah absolutely but I think it yes definitely it has brought out the best in people but I think it has really tested people and it's showing us really who the true leaders are mm. and people that we maybe thought were good leaders and were, were good to their people really are showing their true colours so um, I think for me I would never have put myself necessarily in the place of going I'm the best leader in the world but I think I've surprised myself on what I've been able the resilience that I've been able to pull out um, from places that I never knew I had it in a way um, but yeah definitely it's it's been about the people first and foremost in this, throughout this whole pandemic and um, business has to continue um, but actually it has come down to really that core level of everything is about people and business uh, economy everything is about the people that are doing the work but it's also about family and so yeah it all comes back to how you look after those people and that that's really what leadership is I think it's about leading the, the people to, to do the things um yeah, <laughs> that's not a very good definition. Sorry, well, I think I think you're absolutely right. I know what you're saying there, Jenny. And um, it's it's so often said, isn't it, that you learn so much more from times of adversity than you do when things are going well. And have you learned anything as a leader um, from this experience? Because I think in anyone's development, be you a leader or an employee, I think it's important at times to go out of your comfort zone and really have to push the boundaries, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think. Um Definitely, I've learned a lot. And you learn through failure. And I've failed a lot, not just in the past two months, but throughout my life. Um, but I think what I had to learn 
quite quickly two months ago was about making decisions quickly and, and sticking to it. And I think I struggled a little bit in the beginning because things were changing so rapidly and every day we were being bombarded with new information and and, and even the leaders of the country didn't know what was going on. So how could they expect the people underneath them to know what's going on? And um, I had to try and somehow shut out the noise and really regroup and refocus on what was important for me, for my business, for my staff, for my family, for the people around me and make decisions accordingly. So somehow I managed to do that um, and sort of navigate through the fog. And once I, once I started to make decisions and sort of trust my gut, it became a lot easier. And when I accepted as well that I was going to make the wrong decision sometimes and then I would move on and make a different decision. So I think allowing yourself to fail and learn and grow and move on is important. Um, and that's what I've learned. I think you're absolutely right there. I think that experience of trying things, maybe making mistakes and learning from them is hugely important in one's development in becoming a leader. And there are another couple of important points to take away from that as well, because we talk about the ability to be reactive. That's really being tested at the moment for how proactive you can be long term planning, that sort of thing. When there is something like this and there are changing guidelines and changing circumstances also almost by the day, you have to have that ability as a leader to make very measured decisions very quickly. As well as that, um, you also mentioned there a little bit of self-awareness in a way, I suppose, being aware of your own limitations, because as a leader, you're going to be under a lot of pressure because at times like this, people will be looking to you as the person at the top for answers. And you've got to understand that you're not necessarily always going to have all of them, are you? No, well, that's it. And when you you understand, you accept the buck stops with you. If you don't make the decision, it's not going to get made. And it's you can't be a leader unless you are willing to take on that level of responsibility and go, yeah, this is this is my show. I'm running it. If I make a wrong decision, bad things are going to happen. But you know what? It'll be okay. And I'll make the right decision eventually, hopefully. <laughs> um, it's tricky. I mean, it's tricky. And it's not for everyone, for sure. And I don't think you'd be able to be a good leader without that self-awareness and without the willingness to want to, to learn and fail and grow and, you know, and all that good stuff. Um Yeah, it's a tricky one. It is certainly. And do you think that maybe some people are guilty in leadership positions of shying away from that, being willing to take risks and make mistakes because they're afraid of failing and maybe afraid of criticism for the decisions that they make in a way? Absolutely. I mean, I think people want the accolades and the kudos and the celebrity or whatever else it is that comes with being a leader or being top dog quite a lot I don't think there's a lot of people who would necessarily choose the pain and the anguish and the heartache and the feelings of despair and loneliness and all the other stuff that comes along with it so you have to be able to take that good with the bad and the reality is majority of the time you're getting the bad because you're the one that has to mop everything up and deal with the problems and the buck does stop with you that's not to say that you're on your own all the time a good leader knows you hire people smarter than you to do the things that you can't do Um, and I've always done that and I'm lucky and blessed to be surrounded by amazingly talented creative and smart people Um, but they're what support me to do the work to allow me to continue to lead and you know it's a a self-fulfilling circle Um, 
It's a very interesting Sorry. point that you make there, Jenny, I have to say, because um, there was a chap um, by the name of Nelson Mandela who once said um, that you should surround yourself with people who are better than you are. And that as a leader is important, isn't it? Surrounding yourself with positive people and picking your mentors carefully. So you can get the best out of them, but also vice versa. They can also nurture the best out of you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today without without people smarter than me. <laughs> There's no one person can do it all ever in anything in life or business or, or any aspect. So y- you have to find those good people. I think you're absolutely right in saying that. And um, we talk about the importance of taking people with you and engaging people as a leader and inspiring as well. That's um, incredibly important. But are there any examples of people out there who've maybe been an inspiration to you throughout your career and your development, Jenny? Many, many, many. I mean, my career has spanned a couple of different industries. Um, so I've always kind of looked for people that have been ahead of me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to embarrass anybody by naming a lot of names. Um, but some of the people that I've worked with, one of the um, a guy that gave me a job once, uh, who was in a startup, and he was the one that said to me, "You know, always hire people smarter than you." And I don't know if he was buttering me up because he was hiring me, but it, that has stuck with me, and it's something that I have always um, reminded myself about. And you mentioned a really interesting point earlier on, Jenny, about how some people, when they take on leadership roles, just thirst for the accolades and the kudos that comes with that and I think in a way leadership is associated especially in the UK with celebrity and with maybe politicians people who are in the public eye in a sense um Mm -hmm. do you think in the business environment then um, if we look at the flip side to that that good leadership is as recognized as it should be because I think good leaders in that sense essentially who are good mentors people behind the scenes who are really producing results that can so often go under the radar can't it and almost completely unrecognized it can but i don't know if the people those those titans of industry those people that are leaving leading the country forward i don't know if they're in it for the recognition in the same way that somebody that wants to be a celebrity is in it mm-hmm. for you know i think people have different motivators and um, people make different choices about the way they want to live their lives but quite a lot of business people that that I know aren't keen on the accolades you know on the flip side there's a lot of people that put themselves up for a lot of awards um, and appreciate that accolade so it's horses for courses I think but probably a lot of really great work does go unnoticed but probably it doesn't go unnoticed to the people that it matters to so I think staff know if they're working for a good boss and at the end of the day I think that will be more important to a leader than somebody reading about them in the papers on punter do you, do you know what I mean so I think mm. if you look after the people that matter they know and that really that's enough I think I can certainly see where you're coming from uh, there, Jenny, because um, leadership comes in many different faces, doesn't it? And there are some people out there who do like the accolades, who do really stick their head above the parapet. And there are others who really go about their business quietly, um, as it were. And it's it's two very, very contrasting ideas there. But one of the things that you mentioned um, that was so, so important um, in terms of producing results from staff is they will work for somebody who they know has their best interests at heart. And being a leader, that's integral, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, your people are your power, really. That's the people that are doing the work. You know, and I think in any kind of industry, in any kind of company, in any organization, it's the people. But that's what we're seeing. And that is what's becoming so recognized now at this moment, not just with the NHS and not just the people doing the cleaning and the people on the front line, but 
every employer who's had to, to furlough their staff even has gone, goodness, how am I going to do this on my own? Because I, well, I found it myself and having to, to furlough the majority of my staff, suddenly my role and what I'm doing has changed and I'm back to being very operational. And I've always appreciated my staff anyway, but now I appreciate them so much more <laughs> because I appreciate the work of, you know, I can't do the work of six people. It's just, it's impossible. And um, so I really, yeah, I miss those six people. <laughs> For sure. And if we think about your journey for a moment in uh, becoming um, a leader, Jenny, if we just paraphrase William Shakespeare for a second, if people are either born as leaders, become leaders or have leadership thrust upon them, which one of those would you say best applies to you? I think I've become a leader. I'm not sure I was born a leader, but then I was first born in my family. So perhaps I was born a leader in there. And that's where it begins, right? maybe. Maybe that's true. I don't think it was thrust upon me. I think it is something that I've chosen or been destined for in my circumstance. Exactly right. And um, I think you can certainly learn skills throughout your development in becoming a good employee and becoming a good leader. But do you think that some things you kind of almost do have to be born with, including that sort of self-motivation, that drive and that sort of willingness to succeed in a way? I mean, I think skills certainly can be taught um, but attitude is the one that's tricky to change so in terms of attitude you, you can change attitudes but that's much more difficult to do um, so maybe it is something that you either you have or you don't yeah and if you could speak to yourself say 10-15 years ago is there anything that you would tell the younger you to perhaps do differently goodness um 10 15 years ago i was working in the music industry and touring the country with artists and in and out of <laughs> nightclubs and venues and concerts and so I, my life then was just my i had no idea what was ahead of me to be honest um i think i would tell myself to enjoy every minute of what i was doing because <laughs> you don't know what the future holds not that i don't enjoy my life now i love my life now but it's just so different so i think yeah you have to really really do enjoy what you've got while you've got it I think you're absolutely right in saying that and there's so much prior to this um, whole pandemic as well that I think we have taken for granted such as that human contact that we're not able to enjoy like we used to every single day and if we think about the future now Jenny before we do wrap things up on the the programme today um, do give me an idea as to what you envision the next year holding for yourself and for Beyond Skin Clinic and also what you hope to achieve in that time both in navigating the current pandemic and also emerging from the other side. Yeah, I'm really excited about the next 12 months, which seems a strange thing to say, but we had really big plans already before this pandemic hit of how we were going to grow. Um, And this has given us a chance to speed up some of the stuff that we wanted to do digitally anyway. So now that we have started that process, that's only going to increase. At the same time, um, we're looking to, when we do get to reopen, how we can do it in a way that is better for our staff and better for our customers and um, how we can continue to improve the service that we offer. Um, it is an exciting time. I think the, the thing that's most important to me right now is is looking after our customers who haven't um, been able to see us for a good six weeks now. Um, they're missing their treatments. They're missing their chats. And I do feel sorry for a lot of people who really rely on our services. So the first thing that's going to be really important is how we as quickly as possible, get everybody back into their good routines. 
and after that, it's about it's about growth. I think. Um, I mean, we're still we're still looking to grow, even though everybody is worried about cash flow and 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 that sort of thing. I'm not. I know it'll come. We have good staff. We have good customers. Um, and I think we're going to be okay. I know we're going to be okay, actually. So I'm looking forward to growth. It seems as if there's so much ambition for uh, growth, even in spite of the um, uncertainty uh, there, Jenny. And what I think would actually be fantastic is um, if in the next few months, once we start to see um, the fog lifting on this whole situation and we start to see things changing, is if we could maybe revisit this, have you back on the programme and catch up as to how the uh, the business is doing as well. Um, We are just out of time uh, for today's programme, but I have to say it's been a really insightful and also a really pleasurable experience having you on the air and thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today thanks for having me it's been fantastic jenny thank you ever so much that was jenny wallace md of beyond skin clinic in belfast uh coming up next on today's program i'll be handing over to jonathan white for his exclusive interview with liz field liz is the chief executive of the personal investment management and financial advice association that would be the trade body for firms who provide investment management and financial advice services for both individuals and families i hope you enjoy listening just as much as jonathan enjoyed speaking with liz and that's coming up next I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when of course um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right yes um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since... Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's, it's very challenging um, to... Um, 
kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena. And that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe, Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids it will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um, the better I think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our yes. um, in our country, without a doubt, Liz. Because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah, and I think as um, 
uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, uh, uh, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of... Uh, uh, the system, but ty time will tell, and that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, we, I think you're we, right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at, at a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, left the European Union without, without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more, s far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next 12 months? Um, I think I think that, that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, thirty first of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know, the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter yes. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro in Europe, England, or U the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posi positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that uh, and of course you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yes, the same piece you know <laughs> famous aren't they, indeed um, absolutely absolutely so we've still got to wait and see i think absolutely um and it will be a uh, interesting year if nothing else 
yeah. uh, now you, you you mentioned there at least uh, the role of uh, of course regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA. Um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially our criticism is that you know we we don't object to having an fscs levy um or you know the lifeboat funds to pay you know recompense to to consumers uh, and and our view is has always been that the polluter pays but the polluters have have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected 
and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here. This is already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at um. Uh, the operations of Pimfer again. It's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated? The importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organisations that you do have. No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation. Uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we... We I, I must start to wrap up, but um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our, well, our key priority this, this next 12 months is, is, is to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we, we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is, is just, um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another, of other things, promoting the sector as a, as a force for good and as an integral part of a, of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental wellbeing uh, is, is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. 
Um, but it's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.